to be seated. Well, thank you to the music team. By his grace, we were healed. It's great to, uh, to be with you this summer. It's going by quickly, right? We're eager to have uh, Pastor Allen back with us next week. And I'm so grateful uh, that we'll get a chance to hear from my good friend, Eric Bancroft. Eric and I uh, have been friends for over 20 years. And he's a church planner down in Miami. We go back to uh, ministry together out in California, which is where Crystal and I first met uh, Alan and Mindy and their sweet family, but we're missing them and eager to have them back. Well, in the 1960s, can you see that okay? Yeah, a little bit of a history lesson for you this morning. In the 1960s, we're at the height of the Cold War. Now, I'm going to do a little bit of background just briefly for our younger folks here who may not remember what the Cold War was. This sort of standoff between the two most powerful nations in the world and all of their allies. So you've heard this term, the third world. You know where that comes from? We use it all the time. Technically, uh, it's out of date. But it comes from this map that you see here. So you can see the first world represented in blue. So this represents the United States of America and freedom-loving democracies around the globe. The second world, the Soviet Union and all of its compatriots. You see that going into East and West Germany there, or East Germany. And then the third world, that's the rest. That's the, well, on my map it's green, but it looks yellow up there. That's the third world. And it's the the first world and the second world that are jockeying for their ideologies in the third world. The third world came to become known as a term for the developing world. Um, The Cold War, this standoff, this proxy war um, that was being fought in certain places like Vietnam. If you're familiar with the Cuban Missile Crisis, right? This is all at the height of the the Cold War. There was espionage and, and development and uh, diplomacy and all these different forms of influence that the first and second world, America and her allies and the communist Soviet Union uh, to influence this third world. Well, in 1967, 1967, a young uh, lady, Svetlana Alavueva, had traveled to New Delhi to distribute the ashes of her Indian boyfriend, Rajesh Singh, who just passed away in Russia from a respiratory illness. So she's traveling to New Delhi from Moscow, and she's going to spread his ashes into the Ganges River. Svetlana is the only daughter of notorious Joseph Stalin, the previous leader of and brutal dictator of the Communist Party in, Soviet, in the Soviet Union. Svetlana was rarely allowed to leave the Soviet Union. Here's a picture of her uh, with her father and her brother when she was a little girl. She was not permitted to marry this guy, Singh, who was an Indian politician. And as she got older, she realized the very, very difficult world that she had grown up with and the difficulty of being the daughter of one of the most oppressive characters in the 20th century. 
Stalin was responsible for the deaths of millions of Soviet citizens during his totalitarian regime. During this dark period of history coming out of World War II, he was responsible for mass repression, for ethnic cleansing, wide-scale deportation, thousands of executions, and famines that killed millions. Prior to 1967, he had passed away in 1953. And as she's getting older, she's realizing the trouble of the world in which she's grown up kind of a first row to some of these difficulties. She learned also 10 years after the fact that her mother had not died actually of an illness, but that she'd actually committed suicide. Heartbreaking, heartbreaking. And this horrible reputation of her father weighed tremendously on her as she grew older. In her lifetime, sadly, she was married four times, not even including uh, this unofficial marriage to sing. So on March 9th, 1967, Svetlana had had enough. She's in New Delhi, staying at the Soviet embassy. She takes her one small suitcase, jumps in a taxi on impulse, and travels to the U.S. embassy. She shows up to the gate and declares her willingness to defect and to seek political asylum. This got the attention of U.S. Ambassador Chester Bowles, who offered her political asylum, protection, and new life in the United States. Svetlana was granted this protection by the United States and ended up in Rome and then on to New York, where she became an American citizen. So in this act of seeking political asylum, she defected. She renounced or abandoned her citizenship of the Soviet Union, the USSR, and took on the identity, the citizenship of another country. It's common to see this embassy portrayed as a safe haven of protection or shelter from various threats to life or liberty. There's dozens of stories you could find where asylum seekers have approached the security gates of an embassy, sometimes spies in a moment of high drama, and they're seeking safe protection from harassment, political imprisonment, or or persecution from the host nation. They're seeking relief from some sort of pressure or oppression. So why is this? Why is this embassy, this safe haven? Well, an embassy is the diplomatic or foreign mission of one country to another. This is the official representation of a foreign nation state to another country. For example... I was recently in Lima, Peru, and uh, might even have, if anybody has ever traveled internationally, you know what I'm talking about, but when you see the stars and stripes in a foreign country flying over a, a little uh, block, you, there's just something, you're like, those are my people, you know? Uh, it's just different than McDonald's, although sometimes McDonald's provides a different level of, uh, of comfort or safe haven, I don't know. But uh, when you're traveling internationally, when you are just overwhelmed with different cultures and sights and sounds and smells, there's just something like a little bit of, of home. If you have the passport of the United States of America, it also represents something. And it represents something because it represents our citizenship in a foreign country. And these embassies or consulates are safe places where you can go if you lose your passport or you get stuck or you run into some sort of problems. It's, it's a safe haven. Well, friends, our church is like an embassy. And yet, with significance, representing Almighty God and our Lord Jesus Christ. 
This embassy, you, Sunrise Community Church, represents far greater power, importance, and ultimate sovereignty, like we were learning about this morning when uh, Nathan Palmer was talking about Almighty God, far greater than any government on this planet. So what is a church? The local church is not merely a building. This is where we gather. But it's you, friends. It's you and I as we gather together to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. A local church is the key to our spiritual health and growth for us as a Christian. The church matters because Jesus Christ chose it to tell and show the world the message of his love. The church community, this embassy, is where we learn to love God and others, where we are strengthened and transformed from the word, where we're taught to pray, to worship, to serve, where we can be most certain that we're investing our time, talent, and treasure for eternity. A church is an embassy of Christ and his kingdom. It declares its home nation and its interests to the host nation. And for us, it's the visible body of Christ in the world. It's central to God's plan for every generation. And it's a part, a critical part of the Great Commission. So what is a member? Just briefly, context before I take you into our three points for this morning. It's just a brief uh, topical message. And as we prepare for Alan's return, my goal is that you all, and myself included, will be reminded of what it means to faithfully follow Christ here through our church. So membership. You know, if you do a study of membership, you're not going to find the word used in this, this sort of way. But membership for many of us is this idea of a voluntary association. Maybe you have membership to a golf club or CrossFit or your fraternity or whatever it might be. But membership here at this embassy of Jesus Christ is much, much more. First of all, your membership comes by the moment that you are declared a child of God's. So the moment you're saved, you're a citizen of this, of the kingdom of, of Christ. And so our church and many other churches like ours have a membership process. And it's merely a, a formal process to declare that we've heard your testimony and we've heard your story and, and we confirm that you've been baptized and believe things according to what our church believes. So certainly there is this, this idea of membership and being a part of a common interest. But even more, we, more than a common interest, we have a king who requires the obedience of his people. A church declares this fact that Jesus is Lord and Savior, that he's died on the cross for the sins of the world, and that anyone who would believe and follow him is a citizen of this kingdom. For further study, I've got some resources for you at the end, but uh, there's some great books on this topic, including a book by Jonathan Lehman on church membership from Nine Marks. Lehman says, a church member is a person who's been officially and publicly recognized as a Christian before the nations, as well as someone who shares in the same authority of, of officially affirming and overseeing other Christians in his or her church. So this morning, so much could be said about a church and about church membership, but I want to draw our attention to three marks of a faithful church member three marks of a faithful church member. 
hopefully this will be pretty easy for you if you're taking notes. First, an expository listener, being a part of a Christian community, and then being a joy to lead. Number one, expository listener. Well, you all, we all have high expectations when it comes to our pastor, do we not? Not only do they have to meet the biblical qualifications in the New Testament to preach the, and teach the word of God and to communicate this biblical truth, this high expectation is right and good. Not for a second will I challenge your thinking on this. It's certainly no small thing to speak on behalf of God and his word. Obviously, we expect the preacher to come prepared to keep us engaged along with biblical accuracy. We expect to be challenged and to walk away learning something new or being reminded of an important truth. We expect the preacher to also live and model the principles of which they teach to be an example of a faithful follower of Christ. Hopefully you've brought your Bible. One of the things that I've grown to love and appreciate about this community of believers, this embassy, is that you love the word of God. I hear from you on a regular basis. I see your marked up Bibles. Um, and even those of you who've got an electronic version, I see that you're using those. And so praise God. I want to encourage you to continue to, to love and to soak in God's word. And I hope that your form of Bible intake is not merely here on a Sunday morning, although that's important, but all throughout the week, I hope that you'll be like the Bereans, constantly studying the scriptures and um, receiving the word with eagerness, it says in Acts 17. So if you have a copy of God's word, open it up or turn it on to uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. And like I said, this is just a, this is a topical message. And so we're going to be jumping around to a a number of different passages to uh, illustrate these points. So 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 is one that should be very, very familiar to all of us. And it says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So we all understand, I think we all appreciate the importance of the preaching and teaching of God's word, but an expository listener, what does that mean? Ken Ramey wrote a book on this topic, which I'd commend to you. It's a book called Expository Listening. He says that preaching is a joint venture in which the listener partners with the pastor so that the word of God accomplishes its intended purpose of transforming your life. So me and Pastor Cagle and anyone else who stands up here and preaches and teaches to you, there's absolutely high expectations and a, and a duty that that person has. But friends, you too have responsibility. You too have a duty, and that is to be an expository listener. You know, listening to a sermon is pretty easy. You just have to sit there. It's a passive exercise, but active listening to the preaching of the word requires mental alertness. One of so many small blessings of our church is the coffee that's here in the back on a regular basis, right? So friends, it requires from us, I'm going to include myself in this, a mental alertness, focused attention, and a spiritually receptive heart. This is the opposite of having a hardened heart of which the scripture speaks of on several occasions. Jesus spoke, for example, of hardness of heart in Matthew 19, 8, related to divorce. Turn with me to Matthew 13, Matthew 13, 10 to 17. 
I think I got your attention. You're like, uh-oh, he's talking about us now. <laughs> All right, Matthew 13, 10 to, to 17. So Jesus is explaining here, why are you talking about par- these parables? The disciples came and said to him, Matthew 13, starting in verse 10, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For the people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. I think you can see there the, the fact here in Scripture that you can be a hearer and not a doer. You can be a passive listener, but not necessarily someone who's coming to hear the word of God speak. Friends, this is not Jeff Dalrymple speaking to you or when Pastor Cagle or someone else is in this pulpit. This is, Lord willing, someone speaking on behalf of Almighty God. So an expository listener is someone who's committed to understanding and applying what they hear. Let me give you just a few brief points about being an expository listener. This is radical. Come prepared. Come prepared. What does that mean? Well, friends, it could mean a number of things. A couple of thoughts for you. Maybe it means come come well-rested. I think for all of us, it means come with a, a spirit of humility and teachability, right? It means repenting of our sins coming to learn. And sin, friends, when it gets in our hearts, especially patterns of sin, it is a distraction to what God has for us to hear. So coming to church, coming to be an expository listener means coming prepared, and that means dealing with sin. Or perhaps sometimes we talk about this in relation to communion, but it also means dealing with maybe a broken relationship that's in your life. Yes, come and do that in preparation for communion when we take the Lord's Supper together. But I think that also applies to just coming and hearing the word wash over us. So come prepared. Listen intently. Remove distractions. Maybe take notes. I don't know about you, but sometimes for me, just the act of taking notes is helpful to listen intently. Reflect. When you leave, reflect on what was said and think about potential ways to apply, to look for life change. What is God speaking to you through his word? Reflect on what was taught, apply, identify things you need to stop doing and things you need to start doing. Next. Looks like I had two slides on that. Here we go. Point number two, Christian community. An embassy of the Lord Jesus Christ includes church members who are coming uh, to hear and to learn and to grow in Christ-likeness. Remember Colossians 1.28? That's the mission statement of the church, 
to present everyone complete in Christ. And that starts with the proclamation of the gospel, and then that continues on through sanctification, which is a term we use frequently here, and that's discipleship. Follow me as I follow Christ. This is us growing in Christian maturity. Well, next, this embassy of Jesus Christ is a Christian community, and you have a role in participating in this Christian community. So there's various types of community, right? Your neighborhood could be your community. Maybe CrossFit is your community. The Navy could be your community. There could be fraternities, bars, clubs, a number of different contexts. But here, friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ and your citizenship brings us together in Christian community. This is this term fellowship, koinonia in the Greek, used 19 times in the Greek New Testament. It means sharing, participation, contribution. Fellowship is what this community of believers do together. It's not just about food, although we like our food, don't we? Don't forget to come for the barbecue next week. Sorry, I had to throw that in there. Um, It's not about food necessarily or even an activity, but it's about a relationship. First and foremost, it's that relationship with King Jesus. And then it's about these relationships that we have. We're not intended to live alone, but rather a part of a Christian community of like-minded believers who are on this journey together. Remember Pilgrim's Progress? Hopefully there's friends in this room who are walking down paths together, right? And it's those relationships, those the fellowship of the embassy. These are our people. We come eager to fellowship, to be together. This doesn't necessarily mean that we only hire Christian plumbers, right? This doesn't mean that we only do exclusive things, you know, with Christians. Um, we are to be a part of the world We're in the world, but we're not of the world, right? And so it's absolutely fine to go buy coffee from Starbucks and share the gospel with your barista. Um, But the camaraderie, the community, the fellowship that we enjoy together on this journey is here in this Christian community. So three comments just about Christian community. Maturity. Together, we're pursuing Christ-likeness, right? Colossians 1.28, we already talked about that. We're pursuing holiness. Um, Turn with me to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 11 to 15. Ephesians 4, 11 to 15. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ." So this community of Christians are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ. The second point here under Christian community is to serve, whether that's inside or outside of our embassy, we are to serve. Now, if you come on a regular basis and you're not a part of serving, 
feel free to come see me or Leslie afterwards and, and we'll find something for you to do. But there are plenty of opportunities to serve. Uh, but serving in a, in a formal sense, um, you can serve the media team or you serve the music team is up here leading worship or in children's ministry or helping bring food. There's so many different ways to serve. And so I'm using that as the very broadest element. Sometimes you serve outside the embassy, right? You serve um, when you go serve with Hadassah's Hope or even when you uh, do something in the name of Christ for someone in need, a vulnerable person or a, a homeless person and you share the love of Christ and maybe you give them a cup of cool water and you're doing that representing sunrise and more importantly our lord jesus christ this is service on the broadest level inside here a part of our community we're bearing one another loving one another encouraging one another this is a spiritual maturity co-op does it make sense where our stores and supplies are multiplied when we come together and we fellowship a part of this christian community it's a vital incubator where our growth and discipleship takes place. Fellowship. So we've talked about this term. Hebrews 10.25 reminds us not to neglect the assembling, not to neglect the gathering together. Also talk about spiritual things when we get together, part of this fellowship. It's fine to talk about the weather or politics or sports, but we want to encourage each other on to love and good deeds, right? That's what we're doing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this before he was executed by the Nazi Third Reich. I share that context because it's significantly more powerful when that Christian community of which we enjoy so freely is suddenly taken away from from someone like Bonhoeffer. He wrote about Christian community, it's an unspeakable gift of God, which is easily forgotten, that the fellowship of the Christian, uh, the Christian brethren is a gift of grace, a gift of the kingdom of God that any day may be taken from us, that the time that still separates us from utter loneliness may be brief indeed. Let us thank God on our knees and declare this grace a tremendous blessing. Well, I think you get the idea. One of the ways we enjoy Christian community here at Sunrise is obviously fellowshipping after a Sunday, coming next week and, uh, and being together with each other over barbecue and uh, welcoming our pastor back. Sometimes uh, fellowship may involve uh, our home groups. And if you're not a part of a home group, I'd be sure to check out our home groups. When do they meet and how can I be a part? Or maybe one of our Bible studies. There's women's Bible studies and men's Bible studies. Serve, be a part, and look for opportunities whenever possible to be a part of this Christian community. Next, and our third and final point, is this... This joy to lead is another mark of a faithful church member. Turn with me to Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Probably familiar to some of you. This is something that's easier for me to say than for Alan to say. He didn't put me up to this. 
Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Isn't it interesting that he appeals to your pragmatism? At least do it. Do it because it's the right thing to do, but at least do it because it's good for you that you would be a joy to lead, right? So what does it mean to be a joy to lead? Well, first of all, to honor, to respect, to esteem with high regard. This church is incredibly generous, incredibly generous. I've been in such a role as to see the benefit um, that this church serves corporately and also individually. Incredible generosity. And I don't just mean that financially, although praise the Lord for even how financially this church gives above and beyond whenever there's a need. This church is incredibly generous. First Timothy 5.17 says, uh, to those who rule well to be considered worthy of double honor. So being a joy to lead involves honoring, respecting, providing for those, especially those who serve in vocational full-time ministry of teaching and preaching like our pastors do, David Champagne and Alan Cagle and Leslie as well in her role, which is very important. Another way of honoring is to protect the reputation from false accusations or uncorroborated tales someone says something about something and it's not true, a way to honor them is to, to nip that comment in the bud and, and, and deal with it. To pray. To pray for your leaders publicly and privately that they would be faithful, that the Lord would keep them and protect them and guide them. Another aspect of being a joy to lead is open-hearted love. Open-hearted love. And this really speaks to affection. So what we're talking about here is not an officer in the military, this kind of strict, formal type of authority, but open-hearted love and affection. 2 Corinthians 6 talks about this. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. I'll just read it to you. 2 Corinthians 6, 11. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as children, widen your hearts also. Isn't that interesting? Widen your hearts also. Another aspect of being a joy to lead is to be teachable. And this goes back hand in hand with being an expository listener. But humility of heart and a desire to grow in Christ-likeness fosters teachability. One of our pastor's primary responsibilities is teaching. And we don't want to become a burden to him or to others when it is for our own well-being that we would hear what we need to hear from the word of God. Of course, pastors are to be gentle, kind, serving for our good. And we ought not to be opposed to the pastor when he tells us something and maybe we didn't like it at first. Again, Alan did not put me up to any of these things. 
And I don't even see this. This is just a reminder to myself and to all of us of what does it mean to be a faithful follower of Christ here at this embassy of Jesus Christ. I want to read for you, <clears throat> excuse me, 2 Timothy 2.24. 2 Timothy 2.24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach. Of course, we're talking about um, here are the qualifications of an elder, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. You see there the ability of the Lord's servant. There's some descriptions there, but how they're communicating on behalf of the word of God and the goal of that repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Interesting, it even says that they may come to their senses. Sometimes you hear these stories of, of sin, maybe a pattern of sin that has caused someone to, uh, to not be teachable. To, they're, just, they're just stuck and it's this preaching of the word and it's this Christian community that challenges us to not be stuck, but to repent, to turn to Christ and to grow. We need this community, friends. Well, in my study, I came across this book that I wanted to share just briefly with you. It's called Autopsy of a Deceased Church by Tom Rainer. Now, let me be clear. I don't believe any of these things represent this church whatsoever. But I thought it was an interesting kind of compare and contrast. As I was studying about the church, about what does it mean to be a healthy church member, I thought it was interesting, this list. So they took a dead church, and they just said, what went wrong in that dead church? Now, none of these things happened overnight. They happened subtly, slowly. But I thought this was really interesting. Um, uh, the dying or dead church was in their final years was selfish, inward focused, preference driven, hearing but not doing. It's like the great omission versus the great commission. They weren't reaching their community. They lacked generosity. They very rarely prayed together. There was no clear purpose and they were obsessed with the facilities. Isn't that interesting? Again, none of those things, I believe, represents this church, but I just present this list to you from this fascinating little book by Tom Rainer, Autopsy of a Deceased Church, to remind us of what not to do. May the Lord help us. So much more could be said about being a healthy church member. We could talk about the one anothering. You know, the scripture talks about the one another's a hundred times and 59 of those involve commands. We could talk about evangelism and hospitality, discipleship, mercy ministry, spiritual disciplines. So much more could be said. But I wanted to challenge us with these three things as we consider what does it mean to be a faithful church member, being an expository listener, being a part of a Christian community, being a joy to lead. Paul David Tripp says this, your life is much bigger than a good job, an understanding spouse and non-delinquent kids. It's bigger than beautiful gardens, nice vacations and fashionable clothes. In reality, you are part of something immense. 
something that began before you were born and will continue after you die. God is rescuing fallen humanity, transporting them to his kingdom and progressively shaping them into his likeness. And he wants us to be a part of it. Isn't that something? He doesn't need us and yet he uses us, right? All throughout human history, we see feeble, fallen human beings accomplishing God's purpose over and over and over again. What a blessing. So what do we do with this? Keep on keeping on, friends. Keep on loving the word, being a doer of the word, not a cul-de-sac, right? That's just receiving and not giving out. We should be like sponges, you know, and when we get squeezed, the scriptures come out. Share the good news of Jesus Christ with others, friends. Be committed to this Christian community and serve. I hope you find good friends who are following Christ Keep company with like-minded people who point you to Christ and encourage you. And that goes both ways, right? Pursue holiness. Honor our leaders. Turn with me to Romans 12. Romans 12, 3 to 13. I want to read this passage for you. Romans 12, starting in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. I think that represents our church. And I want to encourage all of us to press on. Well, next week, let's be sure to welcome back the Kegel family. We miss them. We love them. We're so thankful for them. There's so many different ways you can express the gratitude, so many different ways that you could express honor and appreciation. I hope you'll maybe send them a text message or drop them an email or, or just somehow a kind word welcoming, welcoming them back. This goes for the Champagne family as well and for Leslie, who serves so faithfully. As you leave uh, here in a few minutes, uh, my son JJ is going to be in the back, uh, maybe with one of my girls, to help pass out some thank you cards because there's nothing like a good old-fashioned thank you card. Um, and I think with the prevalence of our digital media and world, they're all the more special when you get them, right? And so grab one of those on your way out and write a thank you card to one of our pastors or Leslie and just say thank you. Well, I'm going to leave this slide up.
which has some additional resources on this topic, starting with, of course, Expository Listening by Ken Ramey, Church Membership I mentioned by Jonathan Lehman. What is a healthy church member? Super helpful. Um, And, of course, Life Together by Bonhoeffer. Well, Svetlana Alanueva, her KGB codename was Cuckoo Bird. They thought she was crazy. She lived out the remainder of her life in the United States, enjoying the freedom um, of life that we enjoy here in America. She authored several books and spoke frequently on her experience growing up as the daughter of Stalin in oppressive communist Russia. Of course, the Soviet Union collapsed in 1989, and Svetlana passed away in Wisconsin in November 2011. Her life changed dramatically when she entered that embassy in New Delhi in 1967. She renounced her Soviet citizenship and became a citizen of the United States of America. She traded the benefits of her home nation for the benefits of a new country with the hopes and dreams that this transaction represented. A friend in a much, much greater way. We have renounced the citizenship of this world for the eternal reward and benefit of Christ and his way. May we live in light of this eternity. Excuse me, may we live in light of this reality. May we faithfully represent King Jesus and his people. May our church be the foreign mission or embassy of Christ in his kingdom. And may we help each other to live out faithfully in a foreign land. Let's pray. Father, thank you for saving us and not leaving us alone. Lord, you've promised your helper, the Holy Spirit. You've left us with your church, this embassy. You've left us with dear, dear friends and saints, friends who we walk together in Christ-likeness. Lord, help us, we pray. Lord, help us represent you. Help us to live out this Christian community. Help us to be a joy to lead. Father, may we be found faithful. And as we're found faithful, it's not because of our own works, but Father, because you've saved us, you've sustained us, and as you've promised, you will glorify us. Father, thank you. We pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together, church family.